Here's a quick confession. As a speaker, when you appear on multiple podcasts, it can be really easy to pull out the same old answers to the same old questions. And the fault, I think, lies on both sides of the microphone. The interviewer needs to ask different, more interesting questions. And the speaker, in this case, the guest on the podcast, really needs to dig deep to try to say something original and different. But then there's Amy Schmidauer. Amy is a speaker and a video blogger and now an author. And not one answer she gives today is something that she's said anywhere else. We get real deep and real nerdy as two yeah, younger speakers that are trying to make a name for ourselves. We lay it all out on the table, both the good and the bad. And as a result, I think we land someplace entirely new. This is Marketing Names You Know, Sharing Stories You Don't. So, <laughs> so I have to start with your performance at Social Media Marketing World. And I'm sure okay. I'm sure you're kind of sick of talking about it right now, but like... No, not at okay, all. Okay, so you performed <laughs> it, as... It fun. You were Dorothy from The Wizard of Oz singing a customized song, a version it of... It was your, a spoof a version spoof of version. Dorothy. Yeah, there you I go. I tried. So we're off to make connections at SMMW. There's tons of amazing people here and wonderful speakers too. I'm gonna connect with people who love social media like I do, like you and you and you and you know who. It's really like a dream come true. We're off to make connections at SMMW. Okay, let's go, Toto. I got my networking shoes on. Let's so, go. <laughs> you gotta stay in character while you're up there, but I'm sure you had other thoughts going through your head of things that weren't going well or nerves or something. Like, you know, the performance was wonderful. You sang great and everybody else sang great, but I wanna go inside your head. What the hell was going on okay. up there? Well, we here's the thing. What a lot of people don't know is that Michael Stelzner, who is obviously sort of the guy that came up with Social Media Examiner, runs the whole thing. He doesn't necessarily run the actual events from a sort of a logistics perspective. That's all on Phil Mershon. And so what a lot of people don't know is Mike didn't know that that was going to happen. Oh, my God. So, Are you serious? Yeah. I'm serious. Stelzner had no idea that we were doing this spoof musical thing for 10 minutes to promote their networking team, which is essentially a feature of, of amazing people who will help you connect with people at the conference based on what you do, where you're from, you know, anything you want. And so the whole job of, uh, you know, uh, of us was to promote that. And Phil Mershon is musically inclined and he wanted to do this uh, musical. So because it was a bit of a risk, I mean, we had to really go all in and do the best job possible in order to make it look like a success, hopefully at least to make Mike happy. Um, fortunately, it turned out to, to be better than that. So with that in mind, that's what's going on in my head. What's going on in my head is Mike doesn't know what's about to happen. Oh my gosh, we're doing this. And in the former rehearsals, we didn't get very many because we had to hide from Mike. So we had a couple online and then we had a couple in person, but you know, we only get there so early before an event starts. Um, we did try to come in a day earlier, but that morning, the, the last rehearsal we had, I forgot the words to the chorus and I was freaking out. You know, the entire time Mike was giving his keynote that morning, I was backstage walking around in circles, practicing the chorus and my opening lines over and over because I was like, I have to set the tone for this whole thing. Everybody else is is also going to help set the stage but i'm the first thing you see by myself wow 
social media marketing world. Look at all these amazing people. I can't wait to meet them all. Somewhere in San Diego, in this room, there's some perfect connections. I hope to find them soon. If I can meet some so that's what I was going on in my head. It was the probably 150th time I had run through that, except for this time it was on stage. And so kicking it off, that's what I was thinking. Like, so, don't forget the oh words. Oh my gosh. So, okay. So I played basketball growing up and, and like the biggest kind of performances were always like playoff games and all your friends would go and your, you know, your significant other would go. And the whole time you got to, you got to deliver and you're thinking to yourself, don't look at them. Don't look at them. They're looking at me. Don't look at them. You got a job to do. Were you like, you know, off in the corner of your eye trying to see if Selzner was watching you? Like what was going through your, your, your not at all. You were in the zone. I was in the zone, but to be in the zone and also, you know, I'm singing about, look at all of these people. I can't wait to connect with them. You know, you can't really be looking at your feet for stuff like that. Like I'm literally saying the fact that there are 3000 people sitting in front of me. So I think the key there was stay in the zone. Don't get overwhelmed by what you're saying right now, because it's real life. Look over everybody's heads and make it look like there are a vast number of people even behind the the people in the background. So that was I wasn't looking for a single soul. I was not trying to find a face I knew. I knew there were people out there that I'd even given crap to some of my friends who he- heard from a leak the night before what we were doing. And I said, eh, you still won't show up. It's too <laughs> early. And they were there in the front row. So, you know, I knew they were there, but um, I wasn't thinking yeah. about it. That was um, the last thing I needed. The, to consummate, uh, the consummate performer. So, um, right. well, you know, I could have started by saying Amy is someone who does a lot of videos. Amy is someone who speaks a lot on stages. What we started by saying was Amy just did a parody of The Wizard of Oz on stage in front of hundreds, if not thousands of people. And that gives you a sense for the fact that you, my friend, are someone who is comfortable with the performance, I would say. I suppose, I don't know. Well, I don't know about on. that. No, I mean- you are, you are. Where did that come from? That's what I want to know. Don't play it down. You're comfortable okay. with it. You're in front of cameras. You're in front of people on stages. But, but where did that start? Like, was this something you did as a kid? No, it, that, I think that's the confusing thing is it, it there's a perception that I'm comfortable with it, but I'm comfortable with it in the sense that there is, I guess it's the zone thing again. Like I, I have this bubble where my head goes when I'm doing things like that. And I guess if I can explain it in the most layman's of terms, I guess it's the message is important enough that I know I got to do what I got to do. So when I make a video, I'm focused on the person I'm talking to and what it is they need to know. When I'm speaking on stage, I'm focused on the fact that there is something these people came here to learn and I'm going to deliver on that. I've never been a, a performer, the singing side of things, you know, everything came to a head at this conference, everything all at once. (laughs) But you know, I was in choir growing up. I was, you know, standing on the risers with, you know, my fellow choir mates, I guess I got solos as one of the, you know, sopranos in the choir, these things led up together to, to, I guess, performance being in my wheelhouse, but it wasn't like I was looking for spotlights and a camera, you know, it was more just, this is, this was stuff I liked to do. 
And when you like to do something that people like to watch, you, you there's a performance element by default. Does that make sense? I, I hate to make sense. it sound so like black and white, but that's really where it is in my head. Well, uh, you know, uh, this is related, I think, to what you're trying to say. Let me know if I'm on the wrong track here. But I, I often will, you know, I've done basically public speaking as a main source of my business now for, let's say, a year and a half. And so mm-hmm. the more I've gotten out there, the more I realize like, a lot of people do want to be speakers that aren't speakers. And I think that it's for the wrong reasons. It's like, I want the limelight or I want the audience. And and mm-hmm. what I say is like, look, like I started as a writer. My happiest moments are like in a coffee shop by myself, really getting in the weeds of writing a script for Unthinkable. And my body of work requires that I get on a stage. That's like the mm-hmm. body of work that I've chosen to build. And it has a value to other people that I'm trying to create. Your body exactly. of work, like you in the generic sense, it might not require that. So like there's just right. be this like jealousy or or like, you know, grass is greener thing. Like if you just stop yeah. worrying about everyone else's stuff and you went back to yours, if your body of work requires you to be speaking in front of people, so be it. But if not, there's nothing less noble, there's nothing less exciting, there's nothing exactly. less, less worthy, right? You know what I'm saying? And so what you're treating I, it I as, totally agree. You're treating it as this is my body of work. Like I'm not here for the performance, I'm here to do my job. That's exactly how I think I would have said it if I would have fully thought it out, that's exactly what it is. And it's kind of funny to me when I hear somebody say like, Oh, I like to be behind the scenes. I, they, I don't think they ever actually mean that. I think they're trying to justify the fact that maybe there is sort of this trend of people who want to be front facing or, or want to have their face on whatever they're doing. And a person that says, I prefer to be behind the scenes is their way of explaining it to that person. But what they're really hopefully saying, is that they prefer the work that happens to be behind the scenes. So yeah, I, I honestly and truly, I got into video because I liked editing. So if you think about it, I probably should have ended up behind the scenes. But what happened was I didn't have anything to edit. So I had to get in front of the camera (laughs) in order to have that content. So that's it. It's just what is the job? What does the job entail? And also don't make up a job that isn't valuable. Like obviously speaking is valuable because people need to be educated. And so there are people that when they present themselves in that capacity, that's a valuable job description. But the job has to come first and it has to it has to work in and of itself in order for that to then be something that can be on stage and be valuable to people because you have the gall to get on stage or do this thing um it would be the same behind the scenes you're you're you have a valuable thing that you do what is that thing how does it take place what is the context of that how do you do it well and even the phrase behind the scenes it's it's i'm i'm giving you what i do but in the negative space of what others do so i'm behind the scenes which is a negative reference to the scenes right so you're like okay the speaker's on the scenes the podcaster the host is on the scene that is creating the thing that i edit why not say like you know where i'm happiest i'm happiest when i'm by myself editing like nobody else can edit like there's exactly you need that pride in that so exactly you talked about this bubble and i think the bubble or the headspace you get to is like you switching into this is my work i'm in work mode i'm focused i'm I'm creating that body of work and the phrase body of work implies a lot of work so it probably didn't start that way for you like do you remember the first video you created if you're not there like i can't wait to perform what were you actually thinking right before you hit record 
Absolutely. So the first video I ever created, and I talk about this in the book, is uh, a video that was basically a compilation of congratulations and best wishes for a bride who had asked me to be a bridesmaid in her wedding. And for whatever reason, in 2007, I'm asked to be a bridesmaid. I, I just wanted to do something cool for her. So the headspace I was in was, I want to make something cool for her. And somehow I came up with the idea for a video. I had never really done anything that pertains to video. I had, you know, some access to computers and internet and things like that because I grew up with it. But video editing, no. So when I hit record, you know, the camera was pointing away from me. I was going to friends and family of hers to sort of chime in and say, you know, congratulations, people that she hadn't seen in a while. That would be a nice, pleasant surprise. And that was the whole goal. It was I'm going to make something for one person and it's going to be so much fun to be able to share that thing with her. And what ended up turning me on to video as a whole was the impact it had on not just her, you know, people at the rehearsal dinner were watching this video and whether they knew every single person or not, they were impacted by it. And I just thought that was so interesting that you could make something for one person and impact the many. And I think that that absolutely applies in how we talk about marketing today, but that's how I got started with video. It had nothing to do with me being on camera. And like I said, I liked editing. That's the video that helped me discover that. But I ran out of content at some point. You know, I, I went on after that to maybe filming my friends and us going around downtown and things like that, which is vlogging today. I was this, this is what I was doing in 2008 and 2009. But when my friends got bored of it and I didn't have anything to edit, I, that's when I had to start talking to a camera and just sort of do this talking head thing. But that initial moment was just about creating something cool. And that's what's had to resonate throughout in order for it to be a medium that's even paid off for me. Right. Because when you make a video for yourself, you might as well just keep it to yourself because no one's going to watch it. But when you make it for somebody in particular and it's helpful or entertaining in some capacity, that's when it starts to get really special. Great creators, I think, live in this overlap of like, we talk a lot on like on past episodes of Unthinkable, we've explored ideas. Uh, really, the whole exploration is about intuition. And so we're, we're constantly exploring or maybe dancing on this fine line between I'm making stuff for me and I'm making stuff for others. And then there's this like third thing that comes in when you do it in a marketing context, which is I think what dilutes the content itself, what dilutes the message or the creative. And that is, I'm not really doing this for me. Like I'm not just making this because I want it to exist really badly, which I think can create some really good work. I'm also not doing this for others. I'm not doing it for so-and-so who I know or this generic idea of my audience to help them, right? Which can create some really good work. I'm doing this for a lead. I'm doing this for fame. I'm doing this for a sale. And now that you're starting with that, I feel like it just completely destroys how enjoyable it is for you to do. It's not intrinsic anymore. And so it creates a crap video or podcast or whatever it is. Have you found that to be the case the more you talk about video with others and why they want to do it? I think so. I, this just ends up going back to everyone's why because on some level it had... It, I don't work for myself because it's easier than working for someone else, right? So everything kind of goes back to a why as to as to the reason you're doing it. And the same thing's gonna go for video because for me, yes, this is my job, but it's also something that I was so passionate about that I had the nerve to kind of venture out and, and try to do it on my own and, and create a business proposition from it. So 
I do think that there's a balance. I think there has to be some level of satisfaction in it for yourself because it is the thing that you are probably waking up to on the day to day and have to come through on. But also, I mean, the only reason why it's valuable is because you're presenting it for somebody else's use or for you're educating somebody or something like that. So there is a balance there for me. And I think this is just my personality type. I feel very fortunate that I have found a what in terms of the thing that I enjoy doing, the thing that I enjoy teaching, but I do not actually feel fulfilled unless I am helping somebody. Like if it's just for me, I don't think it's good enough. I don't, I I don't think it's, it's worthy of my time. I have a hard time sort of allowing that, that headspace for myself of like, this is just for me and that makes it okay. I I'm not on that page. Most of the time, if I'm creating something, I have to have a very clear idea of who this is for and why it matters so that I can spend the time and know that it is well spent for somebody else. So those two dynamics are always measure, you know, measuring against each other frequently for me. When you want to present value, essentially, yeah. I I feel like I have to know that I'm doing that all the time. And that might be a little bit of a tick at this point. No, no, but here's but, the thing, though. But here, like, if you want to get really existential and or, or, like, just do the intellectual version of a dog chasing its tail, like, mm-hmm. you're doing it not just for you, you're doing it for others. And you just ended that by saying, not only was it said with passion, but you said, I have to be doing this for others. The first yeah. word in that sentence. Yeah, I have to be, you know, in other words, like you're doing you, you love to teach for me. Why did I choose podcasting? You know, I I fell into it. I started doing it for fun. I'm looking back on it and now I'm reflecting on it. Why do I love it so much? My thing is like, I want to make them feel. I think audio Mm -hmm. is a great way to make you feel in a world where you just flip through all these different channels and all this like hollow stuff. And I want to make them feel. So it's for, it's for others. But I can't remove myself from that equation, right? right? I right. can't like give you a hollow list article of like, here's how to do my show because then I'm not involved in it, right? And you're going to create something different. And I feel like no one's going to create, you know, you have this very overt tone of voice in your videos. And if I unhook you from your videos or your speeches and try to hook up someone who's even close to you, it's going to be mm-hmm. fundamentally different. Hi! How's it going? I'm live. I'm live. Live, 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 live. Okay, so today is very exciting. If you didn't know, it is April 1st. And so that means a couple of things. It means, A, it's April Fool's Day, which is the dumbest of all the dumb days that there are. I'm a little bossy, I think. Uh, (laughs) I think my tone is, is... generally helpful yet i i i don't want you to feel as though it's a chore um and so i guess let me let me sort of clarify that when i started making content on youtube it was one thing it was sort of sharing my life when i started my business and i created a platform specifically for it my goal at the time was to advise small businesses who i hoped would hire me and make it not a chore for them to understand because in 2010 and 2011, it was like, you know, we're not talking about video marketing at this time. We're just talking about grappling with the fact that they had to have a Facebook page and learning that and trying to understand it and do it well and bootstrap. And I wanted to teach that 
but I wanted to have the upper hand on the marketers that were making video at the time by allowing it to come off like it was fun. Because even if it's not really that fun for you, you don't enjoy marketing, you certainly don't enjoy the computer or whatever it is, you still understood that it doesn't have to be a chore to learn how to do something in your business and that you could trust somebody that can have fun with it, but also be professional at the same time. So that's why I say when, when you're listening to me, it's usually in a personal or professional development and growth sort of mindset. And that's how I'm talking to you is because I want you to walk away better or be able to walk away doing something, but it's also going to be at least fun to do while you're listening or fun to do while you're just watching the video. Mm-hmm. And I think I get that from being voted most sarcastic by my high school class. Uh, <laughs> I'm right there with you. I, I, I like the joke. Like some people say I'm sarcastic and, and others agree. Yes. <laughs> so I like it. <laughs> I want to end with these three questions. And it's basically like treating your career, your life, almost like the different stages of a product, like a product that develops over time. Because I think that's what we all are. Um, and it's three stages, alpha, beta, and scale. So the alpha question is looking backwards. What is something from earlier in your life, be it a hobby, a moment in time, a person you once met, something from earlier in your life that you feel had a profound impact on who you are or your success today? I think the alpha of my life was school, just regular school. And in just thinking about how it felt so hard to be in some ways worthy of time of other people. I know that sounds kind of like deep and weird, but I think, you know, you know, quickly explained, not the popular kid. Right. So when you're, when you're sort of like picking and choosing, you know, who your friends are and not everybody can be. And in order to come into contact with certain people, you have to offer something of value. Who knows what that was at that time. But I think that's what's made me the person I am today successful in the way of I'm going to offer you as much as I can whenever we come into contact because I don't like to waste anyone's time. I don't like to make it seem like I'm just, you know, just, I don't know, just like willy nilly here and don't really care how you feel one way or the other. I value when I come into contact with another person because I'm an introvert. So that we're going to get the time we have, and then we're going to have to separate at some point. And so during that time, I'm going to offer as much value as possible. I think I learned that in some capacity from just being in school and either not always talking to people I wanted to talk to or talking to some people that I didn't feel were Um, using their time very wisely and just wanting to fix that all the time. And I wanted to get out of school. Like I just wanted to leave because I felt like this was not the environment that felt the most like me. But I do think those people taught me something in the act. That's great. And it's also great to be able to take away something that valuable from an experience that doesn't start out, you know, in a moment. Yeah. Positive. Yeah. Because at the time, it's so much easier to be like, this life sucks. But today I'm like, would not change a thing. Not a single thing would I change. Yeah, I hate those. Qu- I get you know. I'll I'll go on other podcasts, for example, and they'll ask me this popular question. I don't know wh- why this became popular. Did somebody on some TV show use it once? It's like if you could go back in time and advise your earlier self, and I'm like, I'm gonna stop you right <laughs> there. Like I'm gonna I'm... stop you right there. I'm a big believer in the butterfly effect. I like what's happening, and more importantly, mm. I like the journey and the process. I don't want to change a thing. Yeah. 
Like, yeah. and it's, it's a great thing to be able to say that. I'm going to stop answering that question. You have given me confidence that I'm not going to anymore. <laughs> yeah, there you go. You make... Because I don't have an, an I never have an answer right. to it. It's always a fake answer. Right. Podcast hosts who are listening, come up with original stuff. Uh, huh? Seriously. Come on. Come on. It's okay. not a fun quest. Yeah, there you go. So the beta question, as the name implies, it's a more recent version of you. I think it's what we're always in. We're never leaving beta as people. But um, what is something you've learned lately that you think will be useful or or have an impact over time? You'll carry it with you. Oh, that's that's interesting. I think in beta, all throughout beta, I have learned that pretty much everybody knows what they're doing, but also has no idea what they're doing. (laughs) And and so what, what I think that's, that's helped me over my career in the last couple of years, because in, in the earlier days, I think I might've nerded out a little bit more about this, who's who, or that person. But now it's enormous amount of respect knowing that whatever they figured out probably took some time and some error and, and, in all of that thought process. And that also there's probably something they're not doing right. And so I think that's something I want to take with me everywhere I go, because every day I wake up thinking I'm not doing this well, this isn't working. What am I doing wrong here? Somebody probably has the answer to this and I don't have it. I think that it gives me confidence in moving forward every single day. And the reason I have is knowing that there are other people out there trying to figure out the same thing in their own little world. And maybe they figured out some of my stuff and maybe they haven't. And, you know, I get emails every day from people I would never have expected, you know, somebody I admire or somebody that's mentored me in some capacity. And they're asking me a question that I would have been like, holy crap. I thought they either knew that or knew a person or now they, you know, and, and so it's crediting people that, there's no one that's really higher than anyone else. And that if we all just helped each other out, we would connect more instead of trying to position somebody higher or lower. I love that, that answer. Sense. Oh, totally. I love it because you gave the duality. It took me of a it. minute, but I, I no, got, it. got it. We got it. We got it. That's really what the lesson is. <laughs> no, but like, so everything on this show is messy. There's even if you were to look at my, my structure, kind of a rundown of the framework of our shows, we do have a section reserved to uh we don't say mess we say another word but we say we want to mess with it like someone gave us a pithy answer that sounds great and then we go mess with it because reality is messy and so what you said is like people around me and me we know stuff people around me and also me we don't know stuff like yeah at the same time like i there's that phrase again another common thing you hear on podcasts or just interviews in general especially with folks with audience they'll say like oh you get to a certain stature in your career or whatever certain sense of accomplishment and and then you realize well this is cool i'm here right but no big deal i'm just here now and now i need to keep going and i don't even think it's ever like looking at a mall map you are here yes. it does it never even feels like that yes i think what's really interesting is again back to the bubble i've been just naturally telling people i wrote a book that came out this year and the, if they're not in the bubble of of marketing and business they're like you did what you 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 wrote a book. And so that's when you start to realize where the, you are here button is. But at the same time, when people say that to me, like on a podcast interview, Oh, you've done this, you've done this. It's like, okay, yeah, I did all those things, but positioning me differently. It doesn't feel that way. Right. If that makes sense. Right. Totally. There's no dot on the map. And then I think another way that you can interpret that kind of duality or messiness is like you can hold multiple ideas together at the same time. So somebody you admire 
on some interview says, you know what, you reach a certain threshold and now you're just like, okay, I'm here now, what's next? Yeah, you can feel that way, but at the same time, you can be like, whoa, this is amazing, look what I've accomplished, like at the very same time. Like I can, I right now, in this moment, I can be like, holy cow, this is amazing, I host a podcast for a living, I speak for a living, this is awesome, right? Like, but also, cool, what else can I do? Right? right at the same exact time because it's it's this like messy reality you're trying to hold together because that's what people are and and you're all, also the most proactive normal human to feel both at the same time because personally and maybe this is a flaw in not you know as, you know like looking at myself and just being grateful more often but I don't often have those moments of like, wow, look what I did. Like, I'm just going to sit here in that moment. I don't, I don't do that enough to be honest. So it's always like, yeah, I did that. Okay. What's next? What's next? What's next? What's the next thing? And I think that that's good and bad. There needs to be a balance if that's possible. But most importantly, just knowing that you can always reach for goals and you can achieve them, but remembering that when you get there, there's going to be some other thing that you're, you're working toward. And so just to, I think you're always progressing and you're always growing. And I think that's a positive thing. Totally. So in the vein of progressing and growing, the scale question is looking ahead and this could be tied directly to your work. It could be more societal. It could be as big or small as you'd like it to be. But what is something you firmly believe about the future? What I firmly believe about the future is only what I believe about myself because I just I think it's so hard to predict anything about anybody else or any things and what I know about my future is that it's always going to be very similar to my mindset today but hopefully um, in a different in a different way and doing different things than I am at this moment and that is I'm always going to be working for other people and doing work for those people and I don't think I'm going to be fulfilled as a human. If I'm not, I can't visualize that moment of like, oh, I'm just going to take a six month vacation. It sounds nice, but I just feel like I'm always going to be working with people and doing fun work that I've decided is not just work, but my life. And I know that about myself. I can't possibly imagine what retirement looks like in the traditional sense. So that's really the only thing I know for sure about the future. Big thanks to my guest today, Amy Schmidauer. You can check our show notes for links to her work and her profiles. Please do give her a shout if you like what she had to say and subscribe to her video blog on YouTube. You can catch Amy and me and dozens more content marketing speakers at Content Marketing World this year. You can also get $100 off your ticket by using the code UNTHINKABLE in your checkout. That's UNTHINKABLE with all caps for $100 off your ticket visit contentmarketingworld.com. I am one of the opening speakers this year on the main stage. I hope to see you there. If you do go, please, please, please come up to me. Give me a shout. Let's grab coffee. Let's talk. I have a ton of questions for you, and I'm happy to answer anything at all that you might have for me. So that's contentmarketingworld.com. I'll see you the first week of September in Cleveland, Ohio. Follow me on Twitter at jacunzo. Follow me on Instagram, the letter J, Acunzo. Or subscribe to the Unthinkable Monday newsletter, unthinkable.fm. Thank you so much for listening, and I'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye.